Uh, welcome to Chest Hair Friday. We are sitting in Austin, Texas today with my old friend, Taylor Tehan. Taylor, how are you doing today, man? Doing all right, man. Right on. Taylor is a, a longtime Austin resident. He's been my tour guide through a really pretty epic weekend of Austin, Texas stuff. It's the Hot Luck Festival put on by Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue. So I've been eating a lot of meat, drinking a lot of tequila, and just had a really neat experience here in Austin. And we'll be writing something up as uh, one of our Austin colon a chest hair Fridays. But in the meantime, Taylor, welcome. And maybe give us some of your background and what makes you this sort of Austin tour guide of, of, of all time. Yeah, so I, I grew up in um, a really, really small town in northeast Texas, less than um, unincorporated, in fact. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know it's small. Yeah, totally. You got to borrow somebody else's fire department. Yeah, when I went off to college... Uh, they installed a blinking red stoplight at the four-way, and that like was the news for like two fucking years, I feel like. A legitimate one-stoplight <laughs> yeah. town. Yeah, totally. I uh, went off to college, ran cross-country and track on a scholarship uh, at Texas A&M. But, um, what was your event? I ran like from the 1,500 meters up to 10K. Oh, wow. Yeah. So distances. The long stuff, yeah. Through the process, I kind of like got really disenchanted with running because it was just like running so much uh, yeah your practice is running oh. and then your game is running oh. and it's just a lot of running it was like running between 80 and 100 miles a week and you were you're a full-time student you you'd go to a party and someone would be like hey this is my friend taylor he's a runner and you'd be like i'm more than just a fucking runner you know actually like, i have interest man <laughs> yeah and, and, it, uh, and it's funny because like when it's a football player or, right. you know, like a, a marquee sport, right. then it's like super cool. Right. But when somebody finds out you're a runner, it's like, oh, cool. You run around like <laughs> yeah, right on, man. Totally. It's not, it's not like a totally. glamorous thing. Right. Yeah. No, you don't get the girls being along this. <laughs> and so I went to college to be an athlete, but didn't think really about what I wanted to do. And so... I quit school and moved to South America and worked there for a little while as a in the in the jungle as a cowboy for this school for underprivileged kids in the middle of the jungle. I want to unpack that a little bit. One <laughs> cowboy experience. Had yeah. you had some? Yeah, East Texas. Um, grew up around horses and stuff. Okay. Two. Why did the school need a cowboy? <laughs> so this uh, school. On the eastern side of Bolivia, there's this massive expanse called the Pantanal, and it's kind of like the Everglades, Everglades meet the jungle. Bolivia, at, at the time, you could still settle property like the Wild West. Like so just could, go claim it. Right. So like if you lived, if you were impoverished in the city in Santa Cruz or La Paz and you were fucked and like life was sucking... You could go out into the middle of the jungle, stake claim to 20 hectares, which, you know, we've talked about. Like, Yeah, I, can, I, don't, I don't know, know how to do the know. math. <laughs> I don't know if it's 20 or I don't know how close to it. I don't even know that what that is. is. Yeah. yeah, It's land. Yeah, totally. It's free land. So yeah. It's good stuff. So you end up going out there, staking claim to this property, and it becomes yours. Well, there was no school for just these kids that were dispersed and oh, families okay. that were dispersed out in the middle of nowhere. So you're like doing rural education like they had to do here right? hundreds of years ago there in the present. So these Brazilians, they were like noticed that, oh man, there's like a big need for like a school in the middle of this jungle. So they actually moved to this area, started a school that was like a boarding school and 
Um, these kids would come on like a fucking ox, three days trek, and then they'd stay there for the whole semester. And I mean, I'm talking kids like had not, they had the clothes on their body. They were super poor, but it housed like 150 kids from all over. I mean, like all grade like levels, thousands of hectares. Like it was just massive, expansive. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm half giggling. Because no, yeah. when you say thousand hectares, yeah. I'm like, we, that, that could be that anything. Could, yeah. <laughs> like, literally, it's that like could 50 be the acres. It could be the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> it could be my backyard. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, neither do I. I can't remember. At one point, I remembered the conversion, but I can't at all. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because it was in the middle of nowhere, they had to grow their own crops and raise their own cattle and eat their own. Okay, kids. so it was a so, self-sufficient... Right, because there was nothing. Like, it was like the close... The, the Cessna would fly in probably once a week to get, like necessary supplies but they had built like a little it's like kind of a little village so i lived out there and it was amazing did absolutely but then i came back to i, I kind of like after a while I was just like well maybe i need to go back to college but i went back to a&m and then i was like just had it almost like a nervous breakdown or it was just like culture shock coming from like this crazy experience where People at, people like, yeah. at A&M think they're, like, yeah. rough and tough oh, cowboys. Dude. And, and you've just been one. And we're like, come on, man. I'm sure that's what it was and like. Then, and you kind of, like, you know, you kind of are, you you have purpose and kind of everything you do. Like, I mean, you know, you cut down a corn stalk and you're like, oh, this is going to feed a kid. You know, or, like, you, they, I mean, it was kind of gnarly. I became a vegetarian after this because we had to kill uh, all the cows. All the cows and the, um, and the pigs. And it was brutal man it was it was gnarly you'd you'd spent like a how long were you down there like Uh, a year yeah like nine months i mean that's a long time to be fully reflective and fully like living intentionally in the most remote part yeah the remote part of (laughs) the americas yeah so anyway so anyway uh moved back stayed for only one semester and then quit again and moved to uh paris where i was an english-speaking bicycle tour guide I, I would love... Do you have photos of when you were an English-speaking bicycle tour guide? I think so. Yeah, I think on my computer I did. Yeah, will you uh, send me a couple and we'll, yeah. we'll put them up with this? Did you have the hair then? Was it long? Um, it was long for a minute, then I shaved it. I went through several iterations cycles? of myself. Yeah. I just think those are your cycles. It's yeah. like you grow it long and then you got to cut it off. Yeah, I'm kind of like that. You're I'm like a the person f- of extremes. You're like the phoenix. You have like a, a <laughs> ashes and then rebirth. Yeah, totally. So when you were an bicy- English-speaking bicycle guide in Paris, mm-hmm. what what was your, like, your day-to-day? What did that look like? So the company I worked for gave um, like four different cycling tours. One was... Um, a day bike tour where you, it was four hours and you covered 10, you would stop at 10 different spots on your, on your bike ride and people would stop and then you'd explain the monument. So you'd like basically start at the Eiffel tower and our bike shop was right around the corner from that. And then you'd ride your bike all the way to Notre Dame or not Notre Dame, the loop, sorry. And then you'd come back, you'd have lunch in the Tuileries and then you'd come back. And then the night bike tour was a little less like information heavy and more like party heavy. You'd basically go to Notre Dame and cycle more. See the lights. See the lights. Go through the Louvre at night, like through the courtyard. And then you'd end on a on a boat drinking wine down the Seine. And then you'd like yeah, was, That sounds pretty nice. Yeah, that's great. It's not that wasn't a it's not a bad gig. No. And then so there there were and then there were two out of town tours. One was to Versailles. 
and the other one was two Monet's Gardens. And I think I'm, I, I was the first bike tour guide to ever do all four. Like I just, I got really into it. Um, I really love the French history. So I just dove in everything I could get my hands on would read from like Yves Saint Laurent to like, you know, the Bourbon dynasty, Bonaparte, whatever. Is this when you started getting more into fashion as well when you were in Paris? Well, I'd kind of always been interested in it. It's funny growing up in a small bumfuck Texas town. Like I was always a bit, uh, I thrift shopped when nobody did and I played in a punk band. When nobody did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I've always kind of had like a walk to the beat of a different drummer mentality, but which is ultimately why I ended up in Austin. If you're in Texas and you are that way, that's why you end up here. Um, and so anyway, I, I, uh, was playing in bands and music and kind of fell interested in, in fashion in general, just like avant-garde fashion though, like punk scene or something like that. Like, allowed you to stand out but then that that probably has turned a little more conservative over the years but still like kind of I mean rough around the edges but with a little bit more I don't know refinement to its cuts and and all that totally yeah a little more sophisticated maybe still weird but (laughs) (laughs) and when did you how did you meet your wife Rachel oh yeah so so this is kind of so at A and M, uh, my roommate, who's really a, a great dude, um, when we graduated, he moved to China to work for the U.S. Embassy. He was working there. My wife's family runs an orphanage in Beijing, and so Rachel's sister was with their dad at a fundraiser for their orphanage at the embassy, and Drew, my buddy saw Rachel's sister was like damn and then because <laughs> that's how it always starts yeah, right damn. Yeah. Uh, and then ended up like you know they started dating they ended up getting engaged they decided to get married on his family's ranch out in Texas and they have this beautiful ranch like it's like I don't know a couple of thousand acres, acres. at least a hectare yeah, at least one hectare <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we ended up, so they got married on this and I was actually playing music here in Austin with this band called Balmeray. And so I was a groomsman in the wedding. And so Rachel flew in with, because it was her sister's wedding. And so I escorted Rachel, uh, and then she caught the bouquet and I caught the garter. No. Yeah, straight That's up. That's so funny. Like but, <laughs> the most traditional thing yeah, like happened in the most like, non-traditional. Yeah, it was super weird. And it was funny because, you know, being kind of out college station, you know, I've always, I was always kind of the weirdo in that uh, thing in, in that school. And uh, so everybody always used to try to set me up with people and they would just be like, Oh, you know, like you're gonna like this person. They're different, and you meet them, and be like, "That's that's, that's different. Yeah, that's, that's not quite little, right. Yeah. yeah, that's different. That's really." Different. I love that you were the like the guy that people tried to set up with all <laughs> yeah. of their alternative friends. Yeah, and their alternative friends. It's like just because you you know emo's different than what I'm into. Or yeah. like whatever. <laughs> She's got pink hair. You'll love her. Yeah, I know. It's like that was so. I was. They kept saying that I would really like Rachel, and we were I both and vice versa, and we were both very 
uh, hesitant, but I mean, I remember seeing her and it was damn as well. Yeah, that's how it starts. Yeah. And that led you to live in China for a while. Rachel and I had this really sweet fling on this ranch, but then, you know, she was moving back to China where she was studying fashion design in Beijing at this uh, design school. And so I was like, well, damn, that sucks. Like, I mean, she's in China. I'm yeah, in that's Austin. literally like the farthest away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Balmeray was really doing pretty well. We there was a record deal that was signed and a new album coming out and so we were touring. There was gonna be a, a North American tour and then I had a month or two off and then there was gonna be a European tour. And in that break, Rachel and I had been corresponding via email, just like casually. Yeah. You know, hey, what's keep up? it up. Yeah, and then she basically like hit me up and said, hey do you want to come to China to visit? And I was a little bit like, yeah, I mean, let's do it. I, I flew over there for a month. And after a month, like by the end of that, I think we were kind of an official item. So I had to come back and tell Valmarie that I was done. And <laughs> then um, flew to Europe and then... Did you do the Euro tour and then that was it? Yeah, so that, there was... Um, well, we were gonna play this European tour, and we were we were going to this. Uh, I don't think it was Primavera Festival in Barcelona, but there's another festival. But for whatever reason, that it kind of fell apart. But I'd already booked my ticket, so I ended up picking up shifts in Paris at my old bike tour job <laughs> for like. You, uh, you, you call them like. Hey, it's your old buddy Taylor. Yeah. You need a you need an English speaking <laughs> bike guy. So they let me come back because uh, I'd done it for two years previously, and then so I kind of came on for this like, and dude, it was like in the winter, giving bike tours in Paris, which is cold as shit. And um, I flew from Paris to Beijing on January fifth of two thousand and nine. Okay, and then Rachel and I've kind of been inseparable since. Yeah, so lived in China for. A while and then moved back to Austin because Austin had always been home base between all these travels. Right. And when you were playing in the bands, you were right. living in Austin yeah. and record. We were recording here yeah. and kind of doing it all. Yeah. yeah, totally. Like, so we played, uh, I, and I played with a number of different people, but like, yeah, always kind of Austin was home base throughout this whole time. Even when I quit school, uh, the first time when I, when I was like kind of waiting around to get back into or to go back to A and M or something, I would always be in Austin playing shows or doing whatever. Austin, you said earlier, was always kind of a big draw for people who were a bit different in Texas. And yeah. Texas, I don't really like I've lived in the old South. Texas we always joke, it's not really the South, it's its own thing. Right. But, you know, being being different is not always encouraged. Like being an individual is not something right. that people are always into in the sort of Southern Texas culture. Totally. So what made Austin, you know, the place where kind of everybody that wanted to be their own person, why was it such a draw? Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, it probably, it stems back to, I mean, if we're going to go all the way back, it's probably all the way back to like guy, guys like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and just kind of, saying fuck you to Nashville and being like, 
we're going to go and have long hair. We're not going to be this clean-cut Nashville country. And you always had the university where you had, like, an audience for that kind of stuff. So you didn't have to, like, go out and build one as much as they're right down the street. Yeah. They're coming to drink. Yeah. We'll play some music. And Austin, um, you know, for the longest time, because it was the the capital and it was the it was the university town it's always it was always a little more it was always far more liberal uh, yeah, just get, in its politics sure you got the professors running around right. and, and, and all that you got that. an lbj like, yeah. you know the, the you know the yellow dog democrats you know it's it was um and ann richards like our uh one of our famous like politicians she was the shit democrat like, i remember her she yeah. rode motorcycles she was a firecracker, and, yeah man. she's still living yeah no she's passed away oh, but that's she's, too bad. yeah no she was the best like she's like a legend we need more ann richards totally. these days that yeah. guy was all right i know and so like we had this uh and austin just kind of had this interesting they were anti everything that was around it in a way but still embracing like some of those country roots due to like guys like willie and waylon writing country songs but I think that's where it started. And then it just kind of became, whenever I was in high school and into college, I mean, my dad was like, you can go anywhere for school, but you can't go to UT. And I was like, <laughs> why? And he was like, it's just too liberal. I don't you know. know like, I don't know about those long yeah, hairs down there oh, in Austin. Dude, yeah. my dad, I mean, it was funny because even when I first got to college, you know, A&M, like the biggest student organization was the College Republicans. A and M is pretty conservative. Oh, I mean, totally. they, they don't yeah. even have they don't have cheerleaders. They have guys right. in like army uniforms right. yelling. Yeah, so totally. it's a very but the conservative faculty place. is super liberal. But yeah. it's just like the but the yeah, culturally the, it's oh, a dude. it's a conservative place. Totally, and that's kind of I mean it's the same as like Alabama and Auburn, right. where you know they're both relatively conservative, but. When you go to the school that was the agriculture school, you know, it tends to draw from right. more rural, more conservative areas. Totally. The Texas kids are like businessman sons and right. you know, A&M kids are like coming from small places like you. And, right. and so you do get a little bit of that. Yeah. That cultural difference. I, I was always drawn here because I remember going to the drag and just with the drag is like the street Guadalupe that runs like right in front of UT. And it was just every like record stores and mom and pop shops and everything was just, I mean, Austin took so much pride in like the fact that there are so many independent businesses, no chains. Like, it's just always been a place where people have felt like they can be themselves and not feel any sort of judgment. You were in New Orleans, I guess, has it only been like a month, three weeks? Yeah, maybe God, not even that. It feels like it's been so much longer. Yeah. You came to visit, we yeah. were hanging out, and you told me about this hot luck music and food festival. Yeah. So tell me, what, what was the hot luck music and festival? Music and food festival. Yeah, so my buddy Moody, um, he, he, James Moody, he's kind of just a, a serial entrepreneur and just an incredibly talented dude who loves cool shit and making cool shit happen. Yeah. You know, he, I, when I first met him, he had on the short brim Stetson. Yeah, yeah. And I like anybody that's on their hustle in a short <laughs> yeah. brim Stetson. Oh, totally. That, that, that guy, I know that guy and that yeah. guy is all right. Yeah. And so, and he, that's a, yeah, that's exactly right. And he's done, um, he's just a, he's a great guy and a good, good friend. He owns like one of, well, really one of the best indie band venues in town called the Mohawk. And so anyway, Moody started a festival years back, probably, man, right after the Mohawk Open called Fun 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 Fest. And it was kind of a, I mean, it started out just as like 
killer indie bands, but it grew to like having comedy. They had uh, Lucha Libre wrestling. Oh, that's awesome. They had was it all in one, one spot? spot. Okay. So that's like that's uh, the difference. But it was just a different take on that type of big festival. They had X Games ramps like half pipes and guys would come in and you know pro cyclists like a little bit of everything yeah and slayer would play and like you know it was just it was killer so anyway his reputation for having this kick-ass um putting on killer music festivals that was his bread and butter well aaron franklin clearly of Franklin's Barbecue. Yes, uh, very success. well-known barbecue chef. The best in the Won the James Beard Award last year, I yeah. think, for best chef yeah. in um, the South or Texas, whatever the region is. Yeah. And an all-around good guy. Totally. He's, what What you see is what you get. Like, the, the sweetest guy, it seems like. And I've only He wore a hairnet for, like, 90% of the time I saw him <laughs> over this weekend. Yeah. Anyone who has that little sort of, like, self-consciousness... <laughs> To just run around in a hairnet yeah. greeting people, you know, is a good person. Yeah, totally. And so, so Moody comes with like the festival idea, Aaron Franklin, the food, and then another guy in Portland. I can't remember the guy's name, um, but they basically teamed up for this like super team of creating a fest, a food festival slash mu- music festival that's just not been done before. And I think the way Moody described it to me was basically like, just imagine you're at your best friend's tailgate. Like, that's like how they wanted it to feel all week. How they wanted you to feel as a guest. As a guest. Like, you're just hanging out, eating unbelievable food at your friend's tailgate. And so they, but they, they, they set it up in a way that was more like South by Southwest as opposed to the Fun, Fun, Fun or ACL where it's all in one location. And... South by Southwest, you know, you have, like, unconventional environments where you see shows. You know, I mean, I think Prince played in, like, a venue one year at the Belmont during South by, uh, which is, like, a a tiny venue. But anyway, so they did stuff everywhere. Like, they had music playing while, like, chefs would cook. So Thurston Moore played on Thursday night, and they made s'mores. So it's Thurston s'mores. Thurston s'mores, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I was uh, I felt like this was like kind of like the ideal thing for you to come check out because it was like it's food, it's music, it's food, it's music. Two things I know you love exactly. And I hadn't been to Austin myself in almost ten years. Yeah. Well, and you have an album coming out. Yeah, we yeah. got we got to talk about that for just a second. Yeah, yeah. When uh, so when did you cut it? Where did you cut it? Who all played with you on it? Kind yeah. of a little bit of uh, tell me the story. What's it called? Sure, it's called uh, it's called Volume One. So there's more. It's to called come. Volume One. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, like your Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I know. It's um, T Han One. I know. Well, the funny thing is, like, I grew up in Northeast Texas, where like um, the two types of music I feel like you grew up listening to were like country. And hip-hop and R&B. So my hope... Uh, so this record is the country. and Volume 2, maybe hip-hop? Volume 2, maybe R&B. Like oh, R&B? I'm, I'm working on an R&B record. Um, I've been working on it for a little while. But on Volume 1, uh, which the band I... It's 
called Migration of Wolves, and it's like kind of like Cosmic Country. That is an awesome band name, by the way. Because <laughs> that was your Instagram handle for yeah, a while, too. Did yeah, you change yeah. it, or do you I still have the... just okay. to Taylor T. Just to Taylor T. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like that. Yeah. So um, it may come back. Maybe I'll do it. I don't know. I was, Maybe that can be volume three. Yeah, volume three. <laughs> the, the, the Migration of Wolves Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Migration of Wolves, um, like this record... I actually recorded the majority of it at this old, uh, this recording studio that my friend um, had. It was actually the last record that he put out in that place. It was called Baby Blue, but um, it's a guy named Bill Baird. And Bill is, um, I would argue, a true genius. Like, he, um, there will be documentaries made about About this guy. Okay. He... He was in a band called Sound Team, uh, and in the early two thousands, that toured with the Walkmen. Uh, I think they toured with Arcade Fire, and they ended up signing a big record deal to Columbia, and they they put out this like really experimental second record that got really bad reviews, but like it's a great it's aged record. over time. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's so good, and so they got dropped by Columbia, and. He ended up, um, I don't know, it just like kind of, he he's just prolific. He puts out music. He's put out music as, he had a band called Sunset for a while, and now he's putting out music under his own name, Bill Baird. But anyway, an incredible musician, an incredible artist, really. And he was moving to Oakland, and I wanted to record with him. He's a friend of mine. And so he... Um, produced it and we recorded it in his studio before he split for Oakland again another one of those another one of those yeah (laughs) but Bill's amazing from San Antonio and then um my friend Jesse Woods helped on it uh my buddy Greg Tenenbaum who lives in Jesse's moving to LA uh Greg just Greg lives in Brooklyn they'll all be back (laughs) yeah Y'all are Texans. You know you people can't leave Texas for too long yeah. without breathing free Texas air. Yeah, my all my my whole band lives in LA or Brooklyn right now. Um, and so anyway, it's like a country it's a country record. I, I play around town with my friend Jesse Ebal, who's in the Heartless Bastards. Uh, he has his own project called The Tender Things. He's fucking unreal pedal steel player and plays everything. Um, so yeah, it's kind of this it's a weird, uh, kind of very autobiographical in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of it's about really, it, for, I don't, maybe I can be a little more lighthearted in life because my music's so fucking depressing, but all of it for is you like, channel it. Cause yeah. you are one of the more lighthearted people I know. Yeah. And so if you, if you've got to just get it all out in your music. Yeah. Do it because so just be careful when you listen to it because it's a lot. It's a lot more depressing than you'd probably than you think, think after talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where can people listen to it? Where can people get it? Spotify, iTunes. It's out now. Actually, um, I, I te- yeah. Technically, it's supposed to come out in like two days. But people should definitely listen to it. I've heard a little bit of it when you were visiting the last time. It's awesome. Check it out. And uh, Taylor, I really do appreciate you sitting down and talking oh, yeah. to me. This is always fun. We're gonna do this again. I yeah. don't know where. Yeah. You may be somewhere else yourself, but we will. Uh, we're gonna catch up and find out what's been going on with you sometime soon. Most definitely. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, that was good. We got a high five. What did you get here? <laughs> I like that. That was awesome.